There was once a young man in his early 20s. He was a Hindu, and he was practicing law in South Africa. As part of his legal studies, he had read the Bible. And he took an interest in what Jesus Christ had to say, so much so that he actually considered becoming a Christian himself. And so he decided one Sunday morning that he would go to the local church and he would see what Christianity is all about. So he approached the church that was closest to his home and he saw a big crowd in front of there. It was an elder standing at the front door greeting everyone who walked by, big smile on his face. And as he approached, the elder shifted his position from the side of the door to the front of the door. And he looked at the young man and he said, where do you think you're going? And then called him a racial slur. Not deterred, the young man said to him, well, sir, I would like to come and worship at your church. And the elder said to him, we don't allow your kind in here. Get out of here before I have my assistants throw you down the stairs. Well, that young man went back to his native India, a young man who we know today as Mahatma Gandhi, and he led a peaceful revolution of his country to independence. And after the revolution, a Christian missionary came and said to him, Mr. Gandhi, Though you quote the words of Christ often, why is it that you appear to so adamantly reject becoming his follower? Well, Gandhi told him the story that I just told you, and he said, I have no problem with your Christ. I don't reject your Christ at all. I love your Christ. It's just that so many of you Christians are so unlike your Christ. Ouch. I hear that story, and I can't help but wonder, what would have happened had Gandhi become a Christian? What difference would that have made in the entire country of India? And then I think, I wonder if my behavior has ever turned someone off from following Jesus Christ. What if... Someone's come through those doors and they've left here feeling unwanted and unloved. The sad reality is that it's probably happened. The question that we need to ask ourselves now is what are we going to do about it? How are we going to change that and do everything within our power to make sure it doesn't happen again? How do we exemplify Christ's love to everyone who walks through our doors? The aim of this sermon is to answer that question by looking at some scriptures on the subject and then examining a biblical example in the book of Acts of a man who I believe exemplified Christ's love to everyone who he came across. And so as you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 9, 1 Peter chapter 9, I'm going to pray. Father, I just thank you for the honor of delivering your message this morning. 
I pray you would just empty me of myself. Holy Spirit, fill me and control my lips and my tongue, that I would speak only your truth. Holy Spirit, I ask as well that you just prepare our hearts to receive what you have for us. Convict us where you need to convict us, that we would live out the truth of your gospel. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Sounds easy enough, doesn't it? Now, we could take a deep dive into that verse, but we're going to look at just the first two words. Show hospitality. Hospitality is what the sermon is going to be about. And when I think of hospitality... I think of someone who is great at inviting their friends over and throwing a party and being a good host. You know, someone who really makes people feel welcome in their home. People who they really enjoy hanging out with and being friends with. But as I've studied this passage, I've learned that my understanding of hospitality, and I think the understanding that a lot of us probably share, is just scratching the surface of the whole truth of what Scripture calls us to. And if you're like me and you want to be a student of the Word of God so that we can live it out, then we need to understand the depth of what it means and the whole truth of what it means. So the question we ask ourselves is, what does it mean to show hospitality? Well, in the Greek... The word for hospitality is phylloxenos. And I typically wouldn't share the Greek word except that it's important that we understand it's a compound word. Philos and xenos. Now the first word, philos, we all probably know. Philadelphia has the same root. It means love or friendship. Love or friendship. The second word, xenos, means stranger. Stranger. And it refers to someone who we don't know and might typically find difficult to love. <laughs> now, I didn't see Pastor Tim all week. He was off on a missions trip, dropping houses on his head. And so he felt like a stranger to me. So I just wanted the opportunity to share his glorious face with the congregation. I love you, Pastor Tim. So if we put those two words together, philos and xenos, we get the literal meaning of the words show hospitality, which is to be a lover of strangers. To be a lover of strangers. So hospitality, according to Scripture, isn't so much about how good of a party we can throw, about how good of a host we are. It's about how well we love those people who we don't know and have never met before. How inviting are we to the strangers who walk into our lives? 
So you're probably wondering, all right, I know what it means, that's great. So what? Why is this significant? Well, if we go back to verse 8 in 1 Peter chapter 4, we see that Peter is exhorting us and repeating Christ's command that we love one another. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, in the Greek construction of this passage here, there's no break between verse 8 and verse 9. There's no period. There's no punctuation. So what that means is that verse 9 is referring back to verse 8 in the Greek. And so showing hospitality is being put forth as one of the chief characteristics of those who love one another earnestly. It's not a command like we might read it if we just read verse 9, show hospitality. All right, it's a command, I'll do it. It's not a command. It's an expectation. We're expected to be people who will love strangers as part of loving one another earnestly. Did you ever wonder why Paul in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 says that elders are to be men who show hospitality, are to be men who are lovers of strangers? Think about it. If the leaders of a church don't know how to be a lover of strangers, how do you expect the rest of the congregation to act? Certainly, the South African elder didn't take the call to hospitality very seriously. So, here's a question for us, elders and everyone here. How seriously do you take your responsibility to be a lover of strangers? Romans 12 tells us that we need to seek to be hospitable. And Hebrews 13 tells us that we better be hospitable because we may be entertaining angels unaware. And Jesus, in Matthew 25, when he described the final judgment, said that those who are righteous will have been friends to strangers. And those who are unrighteous will have ignored them. Lord God repeated this command to many people, to his people, the Israelites, in the Old Testament. In Leviticus 19, he said, When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So we see here that we're not supposed to be hospitable just for the sake of being nice. We're to remember that every single one of us was a stranger at one time. Every single one of us was in need of someone reaching out to us and loving us. And let me just pause for a second here. And let's recall communion that we just celebrated. Let me just say right now that without Jesus Christ in our lives as our Savior, there is no 
way that we will be able to do this. So really, it all goes back to Jesus Christ. This is just pointing us to the cross. This is just showing us that in order to be the people we need to be, we'll fall flat on our face apart from the Holy Spirit working through us. Really, what this is all about is glorifying God and showing people that despite my flesh, despite my inadequacies, what Jesus Christ did on the cross for me and the Holy Spirit working for in, within me allows me to love even the strangers in my life, to humble myself and be an instrument of God's love. Erwin Lutzer wrote that hospitality is a test for godliness because those who are selfish do not like strangers to intrude upon their private lives. They prefer their own friends who share their lifestyle. Only the humble have the necessary resources to give of themselves. So if you're like me, the question you ask is, okay, how do I do it? How do I do it? It's great to understand what it means, but how do I actually live that out? Now again, we need to understand at the base that we can't do it, right? By ourselves. That it's Jesus Christ who does it through us. But how do we allow Jesus Christ to work in us and to be a lover of strangers through us? Now, I'd like to put forth three things to you. Three things to you this morning that we're going to glean from the life of Barnabas in Acts. So if you would turn with me to Acts chapter 9, verse 26. We're going to read a little bit about this tremendous man of God. But as we turn there, I'm going to give us a little bit of the backstory. Saul of Tarsus was a young upcoming rabbi who was making a name for himself by persecuting Christians. And so he was on his way to Damascus to kill some Christians there when Jesus appeared to him and blinded him and knocked him down and he had a come-to-Jesus moment. And he became a Christian. And Saul took off like a rocket proclaiming to anyone who would listen the message that Jesus Christ alone saves. Now, the Jews in Damascus didn't like this too much. I mean, they thought this guy was coming to kill the Christians, and here he was making more of them. And so they planned to kill Saul. Saul got wind of this, and he fled down to Jerusalem to get away, and it's here that we pick up the story in Acts chapter 9, verse 26. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. So we see the disciples were all still afraid of Saul. They remembered what he had done in the past, that he killed Christians, and now... He was trying to say that he was one of them? Sounds a little fishy, right? I mean, if I was in their shoes, I probably would have been afraid myself. 
And then we read verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So here comes Barnabas to save the day. And I love this guy. Anytime you read about him in scripture, he's doing something to help someone else. Every single time. Of course, that's probably why the apostles changed his name. His name wasn't always Barnabas. His name was originally Joseph. And they changed it to Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And in the Greek, encouragement is taken from a word that means to come alongside and to help bear the burden of another. And so Barnabas was a man who so lived out his love for others, that they changed his name to reflect that. Ever wonder what your name would be changed to if it was made to reflect the way you live? Well, Barnabas was a tremendous helper, a tremendous lover of strangers, And he sees Paul and provides for us the first essential characteristic of those who are able to be a friend to strangers. Saul is able to look beyond the past. To look beyond the past. Look at verse 27. See that first word? But. Barnabas knew Saul's past just like all the other apostles. He was probably just as afraid as they were, but he was willing to take a chance and go and befriend him. And not only that, he didn't just befriend him, he took the time to get to know him. How do we know that? Well, he was able to explain his entire testimony to the apostles. He took the time to get to know him, and then he stuck his neck out and said, hey, we need to give this guy a second chance. How do you respond, how do I respond, when someone who all you know about them comes along your path and all you know is that they have a shady history? Are you willing to take a chance and try to get to know them? Or do you ignore them? Maybe just kind of say hi and hope that they... Go along their way, not bother you. If we're going to love like Christ loved, then we need to be able to look beyond someone's past. Isaiah 43 says, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? If we focus on someone's past, we will completely miss the work that the Lord might be doing right now in the present. And we'll miss the opportunity to be a part of their future. When I was in high school, my junior year, I was a decent enough wrestler to make the district semifinals. 
And I had the fortune of wrestling one of the top wrestlers in the area. I wish I could tell you that I put up a good fight. But he mopped the mat with me. Uh, darn it. <laughs> Could have been a contender. <laughs> Later, he went off to wrestle for one of the best schools in the country, Lehigh University. And he was on his way to becoming an All-American. Had a great career going for him. And he got hurt. He couldn't wrestle anymore. And that sent him into a spiral that ended in a drug addiction. About four years ago, I was playing softball, cornerstone softball game, and who should come along but my old opponent from all those years ago? And I see him, and we start to make small talk, and I find out that he's married just like I was married, and he had two kids that were the same age as my kids. And I decided, eh, why, don't, why don't we invite you over for dinner? Why don't you and your family come on over for dinner? So the next night, they all came over for dinner. And we had a chance to sit down and really dive in, get to know one another. And I found out that he was in, right then, right there, in the midst of a drug rehab stint at Teen Challenge which is a Christian rehab. And he had just recently given his life to Jesus Christ. And he was home for a week to visit with his family, and then he was going to go back, and he was praying earnestly that the Lord would bring along a friend to help him get through this week and to connect and someone who could be praying for him when he went back. When I found out later that when on the way home from dinner, he, he pulled his car over to the side of the road and got out and literally did cartwheels up and down the street. He was so happy that the Lord answered his prayer. <laughs> now, he is like a brother to me today. And he's been a tremendous blessing in my life. But I would have missed that if I chose to focus on the past. I would have missed the blessing that the Lord had for me if I just didn't decide to give him a second chance. In order to be a lover of strangers, we have to be able to look beyond a person's past and see the work going on in the present and be a part of their future. Now we pick up the story in Acts chapter 11. So we turn a couple of pages, and we're going to go to verse 19, Acts 11, 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, Gentiles, preaching the Lord Jesus. 
And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So the Christians are scattered because of the persecution, and they go and they start preaching the gospel to anyone who will listen, but mostly to the Jews. But some of them preach to the Gentiles, and they believe. And the report of this makes its way back down to the church in Jerusalem, and they don't know quite what to make of it. I mean, yeah, the Holy Spirit has been poured out in Samaria in Acts chapter 8, and a Roman centurion and his entire family accepted the gospel from Peter in Acts chapter 10, but, I mean, these are Gentiles up there. Now, you have to put yourself in the mind of a Hebrew. They hated the Gentiles. They thought they were subhuman, referred to them as dogs, couldn't stand them. Enter Barnabas. Have I mentioned I love this guy? So here he comes on the scene, and he is able to look beyond all prejudices and see the grace of God. And that's the second characteristic that we need to focus on here, is being able to look beyond prejudices. Let's read verse 23 and 4. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Look at verse 23. When he came and saw the grace of God, Barnabas came on the scene and didn't see the prejudices that were there. All he saw was God's grace. And that should remind us yet again that all this does is point us back to Jesus Christ. Because without his death and resurrection, we wouldn't have a shot. But it's the grace of God his mercy and grace in our lives that allows us to live out his love to others. But when we focus on someone's past or focus on the prejudice that we have within us, all we're really talking about here is judgment, isn't it? Right? Isn't that really what we're talking about? Judging others? John 7.24 says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. And Christ said, How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when there's the log in your own? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's. We need to recognize that Scripture does not make a blanket prohibition against judgment. Not going to find it. But what Scripture exhorts us to is to judge rightly, with right judgment, not based on appearances, and only after we have first examined our own hearts. 
So if we meet a stranger and immediately we write them off because of their past or because of their appearance or some prejudice in our life, we're not only guilty of not showing hospitality, but we're also guilty of judging wrongly. Maybe you have an issue with someone of a different race or ethnicity. Maybe you have issues with people who you think are less intelligent than you or more intelligent than you. Perhaps you have issues with people who struggle with their weight. Or maybe it's those who are financially poor or financially well off. Whatever the prejudices that may be in your heart, we need to first repent of those things and ask Jesus Christ to change them within us because we certainly can't do it on our own. But then, like Barnabas, we need to look for God's grace where there was judgment. We always have to remember that the only difference between us and anyone else out there is God's grace. That's all it is. The only thing that separates us. In the mid-1500s, Henry VIII's son, Edward, took the throne of England. And he allowed the Protestant Reformation to flourish there. John Bradford was one of the Protestant leaders during that time and led a thriving ministry to the poor in London. One day, as he watched a procession of convicted killers march to the gallows, he said to his friend who was standing by his side, There, but for the grace of God, goes John Bradford. Now, this has become a very famous quote, and usually you hear it, There, but for the grace of God, go I. Bradford understood that the only thing separating him from a convicted killer was the grace of God in his life. He understood that it was only because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross and the Holy Spirit working within him that he was even able to look beyond his prejudices and to love those who he was ministering to. And that's what allowed his ministry to flourish in London. Of course, Bradford had his chance to march to his death because when Edward I died, Bloody Mary took the throne and he was one of the first heretics who she burned at the stake. But the key is that Bradford understood that he had no right to hold someone else in derision because it was only God's grace that separated him from anyone else. And we have to keep this lesson close to our hearts. Because when we come across those strangers in our lives, if we don't see God's grace like Barnabas did, we'll just write them off. But Barnabas was not only able to look beyond the past 
and look beyond prejudices, he was also able to look beyond his own personal interests and reach out to those who needed him. Verse 25, So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. So the Lord began to bless Barnabas' work, and a great many Gentiles were brought to faith in Jesus Christ. But instead of consolidating his power, instead of setting himself up as some spiritual head honcho in the church of Antioch, Barnabas recognized that the people needed something more, and he went off to look for his old friend Saul. Now we have to recognize that several years have passed between Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 11. And despite this passage of time, Barnabas still had a soft spot in his heart for that old stranger. And after looking high and low, in verse 25, the Greek for the word look means to scour every conceivable place for a thing. After he looked everywhere, he finally found Saul and brought him back to help with the work going on in Antioch. And this strikes me as a great example of a passage that Saul himself would later write to the Philippian church when he wrote, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And honestly, I believe that this is probably the biggest hindrance to our being people who are lovers of strangers. We're just selfish people, aren't we? I mean, we have places to go and things to do and people to see. People who we want to see. I don't really have time for that guy over there. In fact, I don't even really care to get to know him. We're just selfish. And but for the Holy Spirit working through us, we're going to give in to our flesh. It's only by God's power in our lives that we're able to get beyond our selfishness. Remember Erwin Lutzer's quote from the beginning? If we're going to be lovers of strangers, we have to look beyond our selfish interests and instead look to the interests of others. Earlier this week, on Monday, I had a goal to get my sermon written. <laughs> I had it outlined and I had all the research done, but I hadn't put it all together yet, and so I wanted to get my sermon written. And I worked at it furiously throughout the day and got about a third of it done before I went off to Riverside. Riverside is the soup kitchen that we have every Monday nights downtown. And after preaching there, I resolved that, well, I'm going to get out of here as quickly as I can because I've got to go finish my sermon. And as I was walking up the stairs to leave, 
I noticed off in the corner an African-American man who was sitting by himself looking rather sad and downtrodden. So the Lord was echoing my sermon through my mind. Like, all right, Lord, my sermon can wait. So I walked over to the man and I sat down next to him and we started talking and I learned that his name was Alan and that he had just gotten out of jail a couple hours before. He had no money, no place to go, and no way to get back to his home in New York City. So I kept talking with him, trying to make sure I wasn't getting conned. <laughs> and the Lord started pulling at my heart. And so I said to him, all right, Alan, I'll buy you a bus ticket. We can get you back to the city. So Alan and I walked over to the bus stop and right downtown here. It was about 7.30, and we got there, and the bus station was closed. So the only way that I'm going to be able to buy a bus ticket from Al, for Alan is if I buy it directly from the bus driver when the bus comes. And the next bus to New York City doesn't get there until 8.10, 40 minutes away. My sermon needs to get written. So there I am sitting there with Alan, talking to him, and the bus for Stroudsburg comes on in and drops off a young Latino woman. This woman is rather scantily clad and she had a certain love for several four-letter words which I shall not utter here. But for whatever reason she decided to sit down right next to me. And I'm thinking, Lord, one of these people better be an angel. <laughs> so she starts complaining that she has no idea when her bus for West Allentown is going to get there. And so I decided to try to help her read the bus schedule and we figure out when it's going to get there. And we start talking and I find out that her name is Sharon. And we keep talking and I ask her, so Sharon, what do you do for a living? <laughs> she looks at me with a wry smile on her face. Well, I sell stuff. Ooh, okay, you sell stuff. That's nice. <laughs> I then hear her cell phone go off and hear the ringtone, gunshots. She must have seen the look on my face because she looked at me and she said, oh, it's a 40 cal, my favorite. It reminds me of home. It's about at that time that I pointed out to Sharon that we were directly across from a police station. <laughs> oh. And then she noticed the big old Bible that I had sitting on my lap, and she said, what's that? There may have been a couple other words included. And I said to her, oh, this is a Bible. I ain't never seen one that big. 
<laughs> then Alan points out, yeah, <laughs> he's a pastor. <laughs> So she starts laughing and cursing all at the same time over the fact that the Lord dropped her off at a bus stop next to a police station and a pastor. (laughs) I'm thinking, Lord, someone better get saved tonight. (laughs) So it's about 8 o'clock and I'm starting to hope that the 810 bus arrives a little early. But instead of the bus coming around the corner, here comes the third character in our story. (laughs) A platinum blonde who wore even less clothes than Sharon, had on lots of perfume, and liked to wink a lot. She decided to sit down on the other side of me. I say hi. How you doing? And she looks at me and she says, Baby, you can call me Milan. (laughs) Oh, need any company in New York City? (laughs) Oh, well, actually, Miss Milan, I'm just here to buy a bus ticket for my friend. Um, He's trying to get back to New York City. She didn't believe me. And in fact, I think that just made her press her advances all the more. And so I decided it was time to bust out the big guns. I said, ma'am, I'm a pastor. <laughs> and I took my Bible and held it up a little higher. <laughs> you know, flashing my sword. I felt like turning to Proverbs 5. The way of the forbidden woman leads to death. (laughs) I did not. (laughs) But I'm sitting there with Alan, Sharon, and Milan, and I'm thinking, this is like a bad joke. (laughs) So the pastor, the prostitute, the the drug dealer, and the ex-con walk up to the bus station. (laughs) Right? If anyone here thinks that the Lord doesn't have a sense of humor, (laughs) you must not get out too much. Eventually, the bus comes, and the bus driver gets out, and I say, all right, sir, I'd like to buy a bus ticket. $30. Okay, good, I got 30 bucks. Here you go, 220, sir. I'm sorry, we only take exact change. Naturally. So I say, all right, you you can keep the $10. Can I just have a bus ticket? No, exact change. All right, what am I going to do? I'm a problem solver. I can figure this out. So I take my $20 bill. I walk up on the bus. Excuse me, um, ladies and gentlemen, I'd really appreciate it if someone could help me out. I have a $20 bill here. It's real. And I'm just hoping that someone could break it for me. Anyone have two tens or a ten and a five? Uh, uh, Please, I mean, I'm just looking for someone to help me. All right, I'll tell you what. You can keep the 20, 
Just give me a 10, okay? You can have it. Apparently, you can't even give away $10 anymore. <laughs> and then I hear the voice behind me. Matthew! I've got something for you. There she is, waving a $10 bill at me. I'm thinking, great, I'm being solicited by the local lady of the night. <laughs> so I walk down to Milan, very mindful of the fact that there's probably 10 cops watching me right now, and I'm about to get arrested for propositioning. So I'm like, all right, give me the $10 first. <laughs> so she gives me the $10, and I give her the 20, and I got my $30. Got it. And I turn to give the $30 to the bus driver, and Milan grabs me and plants a big kiss on my cheek. Now, you know those slow motion movies in the moment, uh, moments in the movies when it's like, no. Yeah, yeah. That's what I, I was like, no. <laughs> she smiles, steps on the bus, and she says, easiest 10 bucks I made all night. And away she goes. But the Lord used her to get me my 10 bucks that I needed. I did have to later explain to my wife when I got home that I almost made out with a prostitute. <laughs> so I pay the bus driver. Alan, by the way, is on the ground. I'm pretty sure he peed himself. He was laughing so hard. <laughs> I give him his bus ticket, and he steps on the bus, and he turns around and looks at me, and he says, thank you for your hospitality. He was an angel, wasn't he? I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Here I am, all concerned that I need to get home and write my sermon, and the Lord writes it for me. Now, I could have chosen to hear Alan's past and written him off as an ex-con. I could have chosen to see him as a black man with no money. And if there was some prejudice within me, choose to see that and walk away. Or I could have chosen to follow my own selfish heart and go home and work on my sermon. And I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that without the power of the Holy Spirit working in my life, I would have done that. I would have walked away. But praise God that he's at work within me. <laughs> that I could be a lover to that stranger who he brought along my path. I certainly wouldn't have had the testimony of that merry band of travelers. <laughs> and I certainly wouldn't have been able to, to love him but it was because of God working through me I was able to be an example of Christ's love. Will I ever see those people again? 
Probably not. But maybe one day they'll think back on that night when that nerdy pastor was holding his Bible up, trying to buy a bus ticket for some guy he'd never met before. So what's the takeaway from all this? What do we get out of it? What's the bottom line, practical thing that we can ask ourselves? I think the answer to that is, am I really being a lover of strangers? Am I practicing hospitality in a way that reflects the love of Christ to all those strangers who the Lord brings along my path? We all need to be mindful of our tendency to look at someone's past, to look at the prejudices or our own personal interests, and be mindful of how we're treating others, and recognize the power of God working through us, and like Barnabas, look beyond those things and see the grace, and be a lover of all those who the Lord brings along our path. Because one day, someone like Mahatma Gandhi, someone who is searching to find out what Christianity is all about, will come across your path. And you'll have the opportunity to either show them the love of Christ or to prove to them that Christians are all just a bunch of hypocrites like they thought. Let's all commit to making sure that the strangers who walk through those doors and come across our path, wherever we may be, walk away from us feeling loved. Maybe the Lord has an Alan for you. Maybe the Lord has a Sharon or even a Milan. Maybe there's someone sitting here this morning some stranger to you who the Lord is calling you to go and love. Let's every one of us commit to being a lover of strangers this week and in every week to come. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for loving us for sending your Son to die on the cross for us, that we might have life with you if we would but accept it. I thank you for giving us your grace and enabling us to live out this call to love the strangers in our midst. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would enable every single one of us to look beyond the past, look beyond the prejudices that we may have, and look beyond our own personal interests and instead see grace and be a lover of those strangers who you bring along our way. Lord God, I just thank you so much for convicting my heart this week. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you convict every one of us to be someone who is a friend of strangers. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.